This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Daniela Ravani. You are listening to the Mom Curious podcast, and I am so happy to introduce you to Laura Danger. You know, Laura, I met you over Instagram where um, actually my friend and I, Lindsay Broad, who was a guest um, on like the first season, we just like geek out on how great you are at, um, I I would say like uh, taking down the patriarchy, but maybe that's too big. Like, uh, (laughs) it feels the goal. That is the goal. You know, what's really interesting. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself in just a second. I just, just so that everyone knows through my eyes what's happening. It's like, we talk so much about like, you know, dismantling systems that don't serve us anymore and empowering the the divine feminine, the feminine, the female, the, you know, and um, I think it's like really nice, grandiose conversations. But what I love about your work is that it is in the home and then actually like the self-internalized patriarchy that we're, um, that we're dealing with, the way you speak to it is so eloquent and so awesome and funny and ballsy and like <laughs> it's so cool to have you here because I really think it's like one person at a time, one household at a time, and you are just you're just you're doing the good work. Well, I I really appreciate that. It's um, I mean it's been awesome. I am forever grateful that this is what I do day in and day out. Is basically can I swear? Yeah. Okay, talk shit. I talk shit on the internet like all day, every day, and it's incredible. Okay, so what? <laughs> okay, but besides talking shit, who are you? Yeah. What do you do? And why? Okay, so I'm Laura Danger. Um, I am an educator. I'm an advocate uh, for women, for community, for men, for everybody, parents. Um, I am basically, I use my platform. Um, on TikTok and Instagram, mostly, mostly TikTok, actually, um, to talk about the dynamics that we end up slipping into and like heteronormative dynamics we slip into at home and how, like, I try to contextualize it, as you said, with the patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism and all of the systems that work together to influence us, even though, and I mean, I always say this is like, I thought I was some like woke feminist, like badass independent bitch. And then I was like, oh no, I've internalized a toxic individualism and a toxic independence. And I bought into all these things as virtues. And so within my own house, I was like, why am I doing everything? Mm. This is ridiculous. And realizing that all of this messaging that we're receiving deep, deep in us is causing at the base level in our own homes, this perpetuating of larger systems. So I talk about that on the internet, but my day job is that I, I'm a certified fair play facilitator, a coach and an educator, and I work with couples. I do workshops and retreats um, where I work with people who need help undoing this mm-hmm. and getting the tools to actually implement better communication at home. 
I want to know what fair play is and what um, toxic independence and individualism is. And I want to get into some of those terms that you use. I have a feeling that whoever's listening, you know, already understands what the patriarchy is or has a sense of it um, or white supremacy. And I just, I'm going to just take that for face value for right now. But, um, and I also want to know, you know, I want to know uh, more about your work as a fair play facilitator. What I find so amazing is that you do talk shit and you are direct <laughs> and you are, and you're just like, um, and, and it does sometimes, um, it does sometimes feel like, oh no, she's picking on the guys and mm-hmm. the guys are picking on the girls. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I actually use that guys and girls, um, uh, on purpose because it is like, like sort of not grown up behavior to not really, you know, step into your full adult self and, uh, and do laundry and dishes just like anybody else. But we could get into the nitty gritty of that. Something I think is amazing though, is that somehow you've wrapped your arms around the male audience and said, you don't want to act this way. You don't want to treat your, your partners this way. Um, and I just, I really value that and would love to hear more about, about that too. <laughs> I just served you a lot of. It is. <laughs> it's, um, it's a really hard balance. Um, somebody once described me as like, uh, as somebody who's gonna like the pissed off girlfriend, who's going to hear you like someone talking shit about you and it's going to like, like get the stakes out, the pitchforks out and like, like we ride at dawn type of thing. Um, and definitely that is like, I guess the word would be impassioned. I get very impassioned about this topic, but I do also feel like I want to be gentle and I don't ever want individual people to feel like this is their fault. And like, like I said, like I was really, I was really embarrassed for a long time that like, I didn't want to admit that I had taken on so much or that I was doing things like washing my husband's clothes or like packing him lunch and getting the groceries and doing all of these things, cleaning up after him because that was not who I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And it took me a lot of reflection. It took me finding fair play, which I will get to in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, but it took me a lot to kind of start talking about this out loud. And once I did on TikTok and Instagram, I found an audience that was equally fed up with this. And once I found that community and these people just sort of be like, oh no, this is, this is not what I intended. This is not how I want it. Like you said, like how I want to treat the person that I love Right, exactly. Mostly men, right? Because we're talking about heteronormative mm-hmm. um, relationships. But like, even in my relationship, when I was listening to Fair Play on Audible, mm-hmm. my husband was like, oh, don't be that guy. Ooh, ooh, oh, no. You know, really noticing yeah. his participation in the system. And it grossed him out in the same way that it grosses me out that like, I don't want to be resentful of Mm -hmm. packing a lunch. I don't want to pack. I actually do like packing lunches when I like packing lunches. Mm -hmm. If I like packing lunches, but to be the default. Exactly. um, Just feels um, like, 
well, I don't even get any gratitude. I don't even get, I'm just like meant built for this somehow. Mm -hmm. And like in my soul of souls, I am not good at laundry. (laughs) Just like not good at dishes. I'm not good at this. And then I feel bad. Yeah. It's amazing. Like when you take on so much at home, and this was something that really like kicked me in the ass to start implementing fair play, which again, I'll, I'll go into that next because I want to stop talking around this thing. Um, but it was that I was so overwhelmed with so much that I was dropping the ball consistently and I was resenting myself for not being strong enough to carry it, but also resent resenting my spouse because he had all of these opportunities to be like, Hey, did you remember the thing? Hey, did you do the thing? And I was like, shut the, why don't you remember the thing for once? I don't, and he was not coming at me in any, with, and it was just constantly this bickering between us because I was walking around prickly all the time. Yeah. (laughs) And you're not anymore? No, it's (gasps) amazing. (laughs) What, what did it take for you to come out of the prickliness? So, okay. So fair play, fair play. As you said, you read it, your husband read it too. Is that right? Well, I just, um, he listened to it while I was listening to the audible. I bought the cards and he's now listening from start to finish because I don't want to be actually last night. I was like, like it made me angry. It actually made me Mm -hmm. angry because Mm -hmm. even though he's the guy who wakes up with the kids, does the laundry and the dishes, this is a true thing about Dan. He, and, and he's a great guy, but why do I keep having to say he's a great guy? It, yeah. And it has less to do with Dan than it does have to do with the system that I'm done serving. I'm done. It has not served me in the fucking least. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. And so I was, I was really prickly with Dan yesterday because the more I know, the more awareness, the more I heard the details, the more I was like, Oh yeah. So he's going to read it himself. Yeah. No, I had, I had an incredibly visceral experience. Um, and so anyone who reads this book, I highly recommend the audible because, or the audio. Um, and because Eve is the author of the book, Eve Rodsky, she reads it and she is like, she's, she's a bit of a firecracker. She's a badass attorney. She's, she spent, I think 11 years researching this system and she built this incredible this incredible communication tool that I truly believe in and has changed my life. But she has a section in the book. It's a whole section where she just reads off the mental load. And I, oh my God, I had, I was driving home from work one day. I had like a a four month, three month old, four month old and a three-year-old at home. And I'm, I'm driving home from my full-time job. I'm rushing home to daycare to pick my two kids up where I'm going to cook them dinner. And then I'm going to wrestle them for bedtime and do all this stuff. Them. <laughs> and I, and I it was truly, by the way, the wrestling and then the hating myself for wrestling yes. takes a lot of energy. And then I have to turn around and do work. And it's like, oh, it's so bad. On. Yeah. It's so bad. Go on. So I was driving. I just will forever remember my face got so hot 
it was on, I was, I listened to audio on like 1.7 speed. So Mm. she's rapid fire in my ear and she's telling me every single thing that I do and I handle and all of the questions I ask me myself a million times a day. And I, I was like, there was like a fire in my chest and I was like streaming hot tears down my face and I wanted to scream. I just, I was enraged by it. This is very affirming. (laughs) Very affirming. I had the same I did not experience. tell my husband. I I was like I can't bring this up. I'm uh-huh. I'm livid. All right. Okay. And I waited. I waited and then it was a huge fight at first. Yeah. Huge fight. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, um we revisited and it has it has complete I mean it's say our, I don't think our marriage would have made it 15 years, you know, to 20 years had we not found a way to talk about this without me screaming. <laughs> right, right, right. And you did find a way without screaming because she does like actually lay it out for the reader. I find yeah. that really brilliant because she is a lawyer. Dan's a lawyer too. So when we were listening to it, he like, he really actually liked it, you know, but, and, and she's so even about it. You know, when you have life experience like this works and it's not you, these are the, these are the systems at play. This is how much you have on your plate, no matter if he's doing laundry, dishes, and, and you know, morning wake up. There's a shit ton else to do. And if you're not at least bringing it to light, mm-hmm. likely the mother or wife, whether she has a job or doesn't have a job outside of the home, is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there she does she has done even since then more research on queer couples and that's a huge important caveat here is that this is a dynamic and i love data she loves data i'm i'm but like i am a part of a group that works closely with eve on all of this in fact i um we just wrote a children's curriculum for this wow like, right this is how we change the world <laughs> yes so there is research that shows that this is a phenomenon that happens in cis-het couples. Right. However, it also does present itself in um, in queer couples, and especially when there's like, I don't. It, it shows up in a lot of places. It shows up at work too, um, but it is mostly a cis-het heteronormative issue, which is why we use the language of like men, woman, girl, boy, things like that. I appreciate it. And I also know that we are swimming in just a heteronormative environment. So of course, even if you're living a queer lifestyle, of which I am not, but it does make so much sense. If you're living a queer lifestyle in a heteronormative world, particularly with children, this happens. We fall into default mode. I'm going to let you take the mic and tell us more about um, fair play and the work and, and how you are dismantling these systems. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So at the basis of the system, it's, it's simply communication tools. Um, and so the, the just bare bones basic is that a lot of couples, um, a one person is doing a lot of the execution of a task and the other person is doing the majority of what I like to call is domestic engineering. It's the conception and the planning piece. So, I notice that summer is coming up and our kids are going to need to go somewhere. So 
that is the concept is that the kids need summer care. And then the planning is I'm going to call around. I'm going to check which, uh, you know, my six-year-old, she's got friends. So is she going to go to the, which camp is she going to go to on what weeks? I'm going to coordinate research, check reviews. I'm going to bring it to my husband. If this is my card, I'm going to say, Hey, which ones do you like? I'm going to call around, sign up for registration, pay everything, do the forms. And then the execution where someone might say, Oh yeah, I do summer camp is driving them there. Right. Like how much actual work is driving them there so much. versus all of the other, the conception, the planning, and then the last piece she calls the, or I'm sorry, the yeah conception planning and the execution. That's I mean, the last both, piece. I mean, both sides are just so much. They just mm-hmm. need to be considered, right? Yes. So that's, that's one of the main keys. And like you were saying, that can be really enraging to realize Um, and one of the things that I went through was my husband was an excellent helper. He was really, really good at give me a list, tell me what you need doing all of that. And I was still resentful of him. And when someone pointed out all of the other labor I was doing, that is when we finally were able to sit down and in the fair play method, um, as often as you can, you hold the whole thing. You own the entire CPE. So one person, you talk about what it means to own the CPE, and then one person holds it. What's a CPE? The conception, the planning, and the execution. Okay, great. Right. So the beginning, middle, and end of each task. Okay, cool. And now the next part, which is always the question I get is, okay, yeah, but what if he doesn't do a good job? Like what's going to happen then? And that is setting the minimum standard of care. I love this concept. I think there's like the law term or there's the corporate term, which is minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing. It's let's have a conversation. What do we want our kids? What kind of enrichment do we want our kids to have in their life? Are, Are they music? Are they arts? Are they sports? Do we not care? Do we want them to be in the woods? You sit down and you talk about that ahead of time And you talk about, okay, when I do this, I literally set alarms for 845 because the Chicago um, Parks District has like 12 spots at the park. So I have to set the alarm to get it or I'm going to miss it. And you talk through all of the little aspects of that task, maybe just to make the invisible labor visible and get acknowledgement of it, but also maybe because it empowers the other partner to own that task in the future. Oh, right. Right. Like, so I work freelance, right? So if I'm in a play or on set for a while, it's all on Dan. So if I don't offer him and I don't right now until I will, and I'm excited about that, um, until I offer him bedtime, let's say my kids are so attached to me doing bedtime. Do I think it's cute on some level? Do I, do I feel like I'm trapped? Yeah. Because even the idea of, let's say, flying to Chicago and doing a a couple of a week on a TV show, right? What is he going to do during bedtime if I never offer him the chance to practice? Mm -hmm. Just as one example. And there are so many others, obviously, like buying clothes for kids. 
Yeah. And to that point, you know, you, you asked me like, how did I get out of, from underneath all of this? And just in the last couple of days, I can offer a couple of, of examples. Like I had to work, um, I'm in the middle of a project. And so I'm working on weekends when I usually wouldn't. And I was downstairs in my basement for six hours and my husband fed, put the kids to nap and brought me dinner all within that time without, I didn't text him. I didn't tell him the schedule. I just like kept working and working. And I, like I texted him downstairs. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is going way over. But he didn't, he was like, he was like, I got you. Like, it's fine. The kids, I know what they need. I know what meals are okay. Everything was taken care of. And then this morning he's get it snowed in Chicago. It's I'm ridiculous. So I'm just, I can't. <laughs> so he, he gets my six-year-old dressed. Yeah. He gets my six-year-old dressed and he goes, Hey, were you the last one who bought her pants or was it me? And I was like, I think it was you. And he got her dressed and he's on his phone and he ordered her four pairs of like fleece lined uniform pants just right then because he right. knew her size. He knew um, the color of the uniform. He knew where to get them because not because of anything other than us talking about it. We right. actually had to sit down and be like, where do I order it? Why do I order it from there? And get it all out in the open instead of pretending he knows or like I'm somehow magically better at shopping. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not. But I was just thinking like there are people who are listening in who are not necessarily parents. And hmm. what's so interesting is that I just put on their ears for a second and I just imagined like how bizarre that must sound that a, that a, that it's a big deal that some, that a man would by his daughter pants. Well, okay. Here's, and here, you know what I mean, like before I'm, you had yes. kids, would you ever think that that was monumental? And it is, and it is. Yeah, it is. And here's, here's the thing. And here is what I do with my platform. And I, and I am uh, hoping to accomplish like fair play is, is an incredible, incredible tool. And it's great. Um, you know, it's a framework to talk about these things and it's a better understanding of the mental load. I love it. But the missing piece and what I am hoping to bring is the fact that it is socially acceptable to not expect a man to know what size his daughter wears or anything like that is so socially acceptable that do you remember maybe a year ago, I, I know there's not been one occasion of this, but it was a, an article that was like, man sends daughter to school in underwear. Right. And it was a, it was on the news because it was funny and sweet and silly. No, no, not that's what, I mean, no. <laughs> right. Sweet and si- what if a mother did that? You know, it's so funny when exactly. I got my kid off late to school all the time all the time. And, um, (laughs) and it's a big problem. And I get, and I get like weird looks from the security guard and like, it's all weird. And I'm like, I'm weird. You know, that's okay. Uh, my husband brings her in on time or not. doesn't matter. It actually doesn't even matter what time he brings her in. And he is like some sort of hero. Now, mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time that I don't think the patriarchy or the system, even if we don't want to use that word patriarchy, whatever, the system, I don't think it actually benefits Dan either. Because no. 
why are we infantilizing these grown ass men? Why right. are we doing this to them? We're like their, their need for like congratulations. Like I, I just, I, it's, it's so disempowering yes. to grown men and then they're insecure and mm-hmm. incapable and now using it as a sort of weapon of like, don't, don't come at me. I can't yep. even do it. You yep. said I can't do it and I can't do it. And when I do do it, you give me a big applause. That's, that, that's not good for them either. No, it's, it's, that's exactly the word is disempowering. Uh, it's discouraging. Like my husband is the oldest of, I think four. We don't have close contact with his family. So I'm, I'm not being mm-hmm. weird. Like we just, um, but he was responsible for caring for those younger children for a long time. And so by the time I had a baby, he had changed a hundred diapers. I had never even changed one. And he truly is very good at being present. Um, he's thoughtful about their health all of these things that didn't necessarily come naturally to me. And I have never been as nurturing as he is. I have other positives. Totally. But I have the same experience, by the way. It's like he's, yeah. And he's, the, the patience is way beyond mine. Right. But there's this idea that like somehow we're built for parenthood in a way that men are not. And that's, is this what we're getting at? That's yes, just not true. exactly. I know it in my experience. That's just not right. true. And, and it's so time. sad. It's, and I, so on my, I talk a lot about this term weaponized incompetence. And that's kind of, you know, what you were saying. And there has been this public debate recently about what weaponized incompetence is and if it's intentional or not intentional, um, if it's like, is it abuse? Is it not abuse? All of these things. And so basically what weaponized incompetence is, is, you know, incompetence is failing to do something sufficiently or in a way that meets your family's needs in this circumstance. And then weaponized is when it is turned into a weapon, when it causes harm. And to your point, and I was talking to, um, uh, a sex therapist recently that I'm going to do an interview with. And she was, she put a great name to this. She said, there's, there's passive, there's passive abuse, there's systemic abuse, there's interpersonal abuse. And when you do not feel responsible because you've been socialized, that this is not your responsibility, you are not competent at it. You're when this is not your job. Or if you are good at it, there's something wrong with you. Yes. I find like men like your husband and my husband who are just genuinely nurturing, kind and sweet. Like they're like there's something to be ashamed of around that. Yeah. And that is so sad. I look at my son and I'm like, you know, you look at a, a young, a young boy and how they love their mother. They love guns and killing and all that stuff too. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation. But how they love the feminine, how mm-hmm. they love a cuddle, how they, how, you know, are their babies, his baby sister, like that is nature at work. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, I think, as you say, it's society that says you should be ashamed of it or, or you shouldn't be good at this thing. 
Right. It's less, right. you're less, you're less of a quote unquote man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that is right. It, it becomes a weapon because it, um, it shirks responsibility and accountability when someone is genuinely trying to opt out. They get to say, well, I didn't know you have a particular way. I just thought you'd want to do it. And all of these excuses that in turn, like with the clothes, okay, I took on clothes when I, when my baby was very small for a variety of reasons. And this is where the systemic abuse comes in is I was in the mommy Facebook groups I was getting the texts from friends who had older kids who were sizing down, sizing up. I was the one who had the community connections because women are taught to to nurture community connections. My husband would have been the weirdo and it would have been some weird sexualizing, romanticizing thing for him to be texting other women. Right. Wow. All of this, it's all systemic. You slowly, my Facebook feed is filled with the camp registration. How to all of that stuff is mine because it's in my face. It became easier for me to take it on. I know when the sales are because my girlfriend's like, Old Navy, $5, uniforms are coming. And because of all of those things, he's like, I just thought you had it. I figured you had it handled. And and maybe it sounds honest, right? I really did yeah, think totally. you had it. I really did think you had it. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's why I'm constantly, you know, I, like I said, I coach, I coach individuals, I coach couples and fair play is really, really important book. And it is written for women specifically who have been really oppressed and harmed by this dynamic and coming to someone like me is going to be more of like, maybe it's going to be more like even healed and just being like, let's look at this. You know, Eve looks at it systemically. Let's frame it systemically. Um, And having someone like me or is like, let's sit down and talk about how this plays out in your relationship because it's not your fault. But we are now, now that we know, individually responsible for figuring out how to dig yourself out. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I'm so excited for that conversation you're going to have with the sex therapist because it's really, it really erodes intimacy, trust, even just, right. Even just, um, between, between partners, it it really erodes that intimate. How are you going to have sex when you have like so much on your plate? How, how, you know? Um, and I even find with myself, like with the uh, example around, how am I going to go do the play out of town? How? Yep. And if I, yep. I, I don't know if you know um, um, Esther Perel's work, but she always mm-hmm. talks about it, But in Mating in Captivity, she talks about how, you know, we, we're turned on by our partner in their light, in their power, in their competence. And- yeah it's almost impossible to allow at least a woman that power and competence and outside of the home if it's chaos, if there's chaos and there's just too much on on the plate. So I think like it's not just like who's going to buy the clothes or feed the kids or put them to sleep. It's, it's starts there, but it has like major implications on women in the workforce 
like sex dynamics. I'm sure there's more. Maybe you can tell us more. I'm just thinking about that off the top of my head, but. Yeah, some of the things, um, and like, I'm going to shout out Eve again. She wrote a follow-up book called Unicorn Space. I can't wait to read it. And it's, she talks about, yes, there's a cost in partnership, in wellness, mental health. Um, we see only 15% of CEOs are women, even in 2022. And there's been a plateau the last several several years of Good. women's participation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. been real bad. So there's all of these issues, these ripple effects. And of course, women on average have higher cortisol levels, higher stress levels, and the pandemic has been horrible. Which by the way, like just from like a physiological, biological perspective, it sucks. It sucks for women's bodies, but who grows inside women's bodies? The next fucking generation. And there is, there is proof. There is proof scientific proof that epigenetic trauma, big T and little t, affects babies. Mm -hmm. So, and who are babies going to be? They're going to be the next group of grownups walking around this earth. You know, like if we don't take care of our women, and I really do hope, I really do hope, you know, this, this podcast can be a supportive place for women. If we don't take care of our women, we're fucked. I really oh, believe yeah. that. Yeah. Sorry, and, I interjected in the middle. Of oh, no, that's rant. that's perfect. <laughs> um, and, and so there's this concept of the unicorn space that Eve talks about. And even before you have kids, like this is the one, if you do, if you do have kids, if you don't have kids, this is the one piece that she really encourages to protect and that I love, which is your space outside of being a parent, a partner, or a professional. And this is the other piece that I think really affects men. And and when I work with men, this is one of the, the biggest challenges is, you know, women lose their identities because they're crushed under the pressure of, of, of work and partnership and, and all of, and parenthood. But so are men. Yeah. And the, the women have been told like, you can be independent and you can be strong and on your own and don't rely on anyone because you're self-reliant, all of these things. But men are still like told that they are, they should be defined by being hardworking or earners. And there's this little phenomenon I've noticed working with men when they come to me is I say, what are you doing? Uh, like, what's your unicorn space? What is your time? It's not a side hustle. It's not like, what are you doing? And they go, well, I work more. And then I feel bad taking time to myself because my wife is always mad at me that I'm not doing enough around the house. And every single time I tell you a hundred percent of the time I ask, I go, how do you feel about that to the wife? She'll go, I wish you would just do something for fun ever. Like go, <laughs> I mean, I, like, I, I want know. you to do that too. I love you. Like, I love you. Like I, I'm not yeah. like making people and living with you. Cause uh, I don't love you. You know, this is right. the, this is the thing that we like, ca- we care about each other yeah. and that unicorn space or that fun. It's so important. And then you come back yes. to your family like a normal fucking person. Exactly. Like and, normal- and to your point, Everyone deserves that. And you can't have that. 
You cannot have equal opportunity if you are not both empowered at home, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your unicorn space? Um. Oh, boy. I'm writing. Right now, I'm writing. Yeah, I can't wait to read your book. I hope so. I am really, I'm, I, just between you and me and everyone listening, uh, <laughs> I have a proposal. We're shopping it around. Um, fingers crossed. I, I have really, really enjoyed, um, you know, my being online and talking to people and building community and watching just the effects that ripple through talking about fair play and weaponized incompetence has been so rewarding. Really? And, I come from, you know, my story is that I've, I've been an educator and, um, elementary educator working with students with learning disabilities and learning and, um, learning English as a second language. Wow. So I've been doing that for 10 years and the pandemic killed me. It was like, I was at my lowest point ever and I was either I was like, I just want to disappear. This is all so much. I hate it. And instead of doing, instead of disappearing, I just quit the parts of my life that I didn't have space for. Wow. And so I, wow. I took a leave of absence and then I never looked back. Wow. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. And did this like correspond to your, um, getting on the same page with your husband and figuring yes. out the workload that, that yes, it did. I love how you write that domestic labor is labor. Did it, it, yeah. it, it all corresponded to when you internalized that experience that you were actually working two full-time jobs. I guess a hundred percent. I found the book in, I found fair play in October of 2020 and then the pandemic hit in, uh, or wait, no, of 2019. I got it in 2019. Is that right? And then the pandemic hit in spring of 2020. So I had read the book like four months prior, whatever. And f over the course of the next year in survival mode with our kids and no child care and all of that, I, and, both of us still editing. working full time. Right. No yeah. child care and being a teacher. I mean, teachers got really hit really, really hard. That was, yeah. Yeah. But all of that and, and recognizing domestic labor for what it was and, um, being able, I was empowered to come to my husband and say, this doesn't work. I'm fried. I, this is just not something I'm happy with. It's not sustainable. And our kids at that point needed us more than how, what I was receiving at work. And so we decided for us. You know, fair play doesn't have to be 50-50. Realistically, it won't be. But we said, for now, this is what feels good. And so I, we changed our lives. And he was there to hear me out and support me. And I was there to support him. Mm -hmm. And again, we haven't looked back. It's been like a life-changing decision. And I hope that my trajectory is just to continue to like preach the gospel of domestic labor is labor. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too, because you do it so well. And what a beautiful example you are around the fact that this isn't a fight between you and your partner. This is a right. fight for you and your partner that you yeah. want, um, you know, like 
when we don't recognize how much work goes into a partnership and raising children and all of that, if we don't recognize it at the very basic level, we are just piling resentment on resentment on resentment. And that is just no way to live. Mm -hmm. And like, what a beautiful reminder that you and your husband could come together around this, that he, that it benefited him too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We are so much happier. And the other day there was an issue with like laundry or dishes. I don't know. Something happened and it went something around the house wasn't done. And we both stopped to recognize. I was like, I would have been really mad at you about that a year or two ago. And he was like, why are you, why aren't you mad today? And I was like, because I recognize exactly like you said, that it's you and me versus the dishes. Mm. It was not you versus me. You did not intend to hurt my feelings. We just needed the tools to understand what was really going on. Yeah. Now we have them. And when you're in fight or flight, like when there is so much cortisol pumping through your body, like the most pleasurable thing to do, the most the, the the best thing that you, the easiest thing to access is fighting. Yeah. Or ignoring, right? But usually, mm -hmm. and that what a waste of life energy, right? Like seriously, it, it sounds like you took all of that energy that like could have been used toward the friction and the bickering and the, the, the why don't you and how, where is this? And you use it towards living your life authentically. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If there is anyone listening who like made it this far through and doesn't have kids and like doesn't want to get into this situation where like they totally fucking love their partner and like they don't want it to change and that's part of the reason why they don't want to have kids, what would you tell them? I think, I think the biggest mistake that I have heard people make and then that you don't have to make is to not ask your partner what they think equal partnership looks like. Like what truly, what do you imagine our day to day will look like if we have children? Um, and it doesn't have to be when we have children. It can be if, what would that look like? And I have a whole worksheet. It's free. I can give it to you. Um, and it's, it's the 100 tasks is the breakdown of fair play. And just as a visual to look and say, what do you, what do you expect? Like, what do you think this takes? What do you think this takes? And you don't even have to read the book, but to just ask and sort of see where both of you are at with understanding what it really takes. Um, because fair play has a hundred cards, basically it's, it's broken down into a deck of cards, an entire household. It's a hundred cards. 60 of them exist if you're just a couple. And then you had 40 more, like <laughs> twice as much when you have just one child. So it's wonderful and it's great. And like you said, just it's, I love my kids. I love having children. Um, yeah. But neither of us knew. <laughs> yeah. We had no idea and had never talked about like, how are we going to handle this? And, and actually look, cause it's spelled out for you. You don't have to imagine it. It's right yeah, here. So many of us had no idea what we were getting into, which is why this podcast exists, mm -hmm. you know, like just for like the, the one gal or guy who's like, Oh, I want to know what division I want to 
hear about division of labor and domestic labor is labor. What does that mean? Or whatever else, Mm -hmm. a heads up. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, this, I mean, you, you, you deal in, in the world of systems at play, but why are we in the dark? Why are we in the dark, Laura? Why are we in the dark about all of this? Oh, that's, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> it's like a, um, it's a great way to disempower, I, I think, but. Anyway. Yes, yes, yes. I think, I think it's exactly perfect. that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think um, the answer to that question is who benefits when we don't see domestic labor as labor. Hmm. And then you think on that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the tiny, I'm going to pull the string through it a tiny bit. Here's where my head's at. Okay, let's do it. When I give my domestic labor away for free, undervalued, and I see it as valueless at home, my partner has more time and energy to give to long hours, to work for low wages at work. Mm -hmm. And then their boss gets to exploit them for that labor. And then they get to pocket that cash. And this it goes all the way up to the top where profit is protected because we do not see the true value of our lives and our time and our energy and our connection. Mm -hmm. It was my theory. It's a good theory. I see the women around me working their asses off. And I, and I surround myself with like pretty awesome men too. And still like women are just run ragged. We are just run are the, the domestic labor as labor message needs to be heard. We just literally don't know. I didn't know until I heard that audiobook of a hundred tasks. And I was like, I felt viscerally ill. Yep. I was yep. like, I already think these thoughts. Like, I don't want to hear them out loud. But we have yeah. to. We have to bring these things to light. Like that's, that's exactly right. Yep. That's our work here. That's my work here on this show. That's your work in your book. Your upcoming. Okay, hopefully book. my, my 2024 release. I don't know. Um, but, and, and that's the thing that I really hope that your listeners understand is that it's not that it's a burden. It's not that these things are a burden. To your point earlier, you like to make lunch. You like to do these things. It's not that you should be offloading and like giving away these things. It's recognizing that without them, your life is shit. It's nothing. Like without the, without the knowing that your spouse likes green grapes over purple grapes or like under that, those tiny little pieces of magic are so special. Yeah. And I, and I know I'm going to like, maybe I'm going to project here a little bit, but a lot of people have a really hard time with this, um, or seeing their male partner in this role, because a lot of our dads or a right. lot of people's fathers, that's right. We're not they weren't participating in these little things. That's right. And it's almost uncomfortable yeah. to the psyche. I, I, I am yeah. so with you because I know that I know for a fact that when we raise children, we are raising our inner child all over again. And it is confronting. It's confronting as a, a woman in the dynamic. And it's, and of course, we're again talking about a heteronormative um, 
relationship. And it's confronting for the man too, because our fathers and their fathers were nowhere to be seen, maybe for good reason and and maybe not. But either way, that was just not the norm. The books weren't written and the women were not nearly as vocal, empowered, desirous, et cetera, as we are right now. And in that way, we are in a really good position to hand over an equitable, fair world to our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an emotional thing. It, it really, it's tied up in so much of, of the value we see in ourselves. So I do hope I'm hoping for better days. And I think this is, I think we're getting there. It's really exciting. Yeah. I think we are too. I think we are too. And it's really um, heartening to see how many people are following you on TikTok and Instagram and like into it. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm into how into we all are. Into yeah, it. same. <laughs> it's um, amazing. Where, it is amazing. Where can we find you? Where can we um, support your your book eventually? So like, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, so you can find me um, at thatdarnchat.com. Um, but mostly I'm on TikTok and Instagram of the same handle, that darn chat. And I would say keep an eye on Instagram. But hey, if you want to like send a little letter to publishers, I don't know. Wait, <laughs> I don't know why not? Point. If you um, want let's wait, let's put it out into the universe. Go for it. Just please, just you have the actual mic. Yes. Whoa. If you if you are a manifester, can you please manifest for me? I'm gonna keep manifesting it. I don't know how manifestation works. You're doing um, a great job so far, so. I mean, um, so I'm hoping that this book happens. And if you know anyone, shout me out. I'm hoping with the collective energy that is happening right now, uh, we can make a move to just raise the bar for what we expect and what we deserve for partnership and for women and men and, and everybody in the world. I'm excited. Me too. Thank you so much for your work. And thank you for being here. Thank you for Thank you. This was the best. Love talking with you. It's a great way to start the day, I think. 